Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. You know, you don't have to go very far <clears throat> to see the devastating effects of anger. Um, you can open a newspaper just about every day and, and see in the headlines and the stories there, and maybe just about every section of paper, um, a display of anger. A husband involved in a bitter divorce um, takes out a knife and kills his wife and his whole family, and only the teenage son escapes barely with his life. A driver runs another driver off the freeway in a fit of road rage because they got cut off. Just this week, I read this, uh, this week's paper on Monday's paper that a man, a, a man in San Mateo beat his seven-year-old son because he brought home a bad report card. Now those are the ones that make the headlines. The truth is, every day, homes around our communities, ball fields, playgrounds, offices, cutting remarks are made, insults are hurled, gossip is spread, items are thrown, fists are swung, arguments rage, kids are bullied, tempers flare, and people are hurt by words expressed in anger. It is pervasive in our society. And a little bit of it dwells in every one of us. And the same root to all of them is this simple word, anger. Jesus spoke about it this way. Matthew 5, verse 21. You have heard it said to people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Racha, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. And I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. We're in the middle of a series recalling that was then, this is now. And it's about the life-transforming kingdom of God. It's what Jesus came to proclaim um, and, and we started with the Beatitudes where Jesus pronounced all of these blessings and in essence was saying the kingdom of God, the gates are swung wide open. It is open and available to anyone and all who will enter in. That this is what God is doing now. His kingdom is being made available to everybody. All you got to do is enter in. And when you enter in, understand that once you have entered into the kingdom of God, now it is your responsibility to extend that kingdom to the people around you. And that's really what the whole sermon is all about. What that looks like. What it looks like to live in that kind of a kingdom. And what it looks like to extend his kingdom in that way. And it's not about a bunch of rules and regulations. It is about the kind of person he wants us to become. So that people would see in us the kingdom of God. And I think the key to the whole sermon, and, and if it's just become more and more clear to me in the studying for this, for this series, um, over and over again, I just keep coming back to the key. The key is found in that hinge verse early on where he said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. He's saying, this is what is at stake, folks. 
What is at stake is people's eternal destinies. It's not just about you. It's about you and all the people around you. This is about the kingdom of God. And that's why I told you, I gave you homework, and I've, I've given you two weeks. So today I said I was going to ask you, all right? I asked you, sit down at least once in the last couple of weeks. Sit down and read all the way through Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and see the whole sermon as a whole. So I told you last week I was going to ask you, so here it is, okay? You either pass or fail today. This is it, all right? How many actually took the time to read all the way through Matthew 5, 6, and 7? Very good. The rest of you? F for a day. That's all I can tell you, okay? There is a makeup assignment. You can do it this week. But here's why it's so important. If you think that just coming and listening to somebody talk about it for a half hour on a Sunday morning is going to make that kind of change in your life, you're crazy. It's not going to happen that way. Because Jesus isn't just giving a bunch of rules and regulations. What he is doing is he is talking about the matters of the heart. These aren't new and improved Ten Commandments. This isn't a stricter, more, more, um, more important version of the law. What he is saying is, this is about your heart. This is about your very life because it is out of your heart that you live. This is about transformed lives. And you know the thing is? No one, no one teaches us growing up how to change our hearts. We learn how to obey the rules. We learn how to behave nicely. We learn rules of etiquette. But nobody teaches us how do we take care of our hearts. Nobody te- And that's what Jesus is doing. He's saying because your heart is the core of your being. And out of that comes everything else. So what he's doing is he's helping us to identify the condition of our hearts. He's helping us to understand that there's something deep within you that needs a transformation. And if you don't get that, you will not get the rest of this sermon. Because it's all about this life transformation. And Jesus is telling us how to recognize the the truths about our hearts. And then how to remedy the situation. And it's no accident, it's no accident that the very first thing that he tackles is this problem of anger. Because anger, anger is at the heart of so many other sins. And anger, anger follows this downward progression. Anger doesn't sit still. It just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. Jesus said, you have heard it said to people long ago, do not murder, but I tell you, Anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. He's saying, you may have the murder part down, okay. Never murdered anybody. But if you got this anger that you're carrying around deep inside of you, it's the same thing. Because it's in your heart. And that's what he's talking about. Now, okay, at its simplest, anger has a purpose. It's an emotion. It's a spontaneous emotion. Um, it, it just comes. And it comes in a reaction to a hurt or, or an injustice, or to a threat. It's a vital, it has a vital function. Okay? It does serve a function. It is part of how God wired you. Um, <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago, uh, I was driving home from the office, heading back out down 2nd Street. And, uh, you know, along 2nd Street, there's all these business parks and, and industrial parks and all this stuff. And, and it's, it kind of gets down. It's only like one lane each direction. And, and so I'm driving along, and just out of the blue, just, just guy pulls out of this driveway right in front of me, just cuts me off. Now, I knew I was going to be preaching, so, so I said, it's okay, maybe he didn't see me, no problem. So we go a little bit further down, and we get come up to the stoplight right there at the bottom of the hill, 
um, right by Dolan Lumber here. And the guy kind of gets over into the right-hand lane. So I think, okay, well, he's turning off. He gets in the right-hand lane. And then he makes a U-turn right in front of me. Yeah! <laughs> you fool was not the word that came to my mind at that moment. And the only thing that stopped him was I, you know, I rang you know, the wheel back and forth in my squealing tires as I went around. That's the only thing that stopped him. I mean, I would have plowed right into the side of him. Anger... Anger gives you the ability to respond, to defend, to protect. It gets the adrenaline flowing. It gets the heart rate going. And and what it does is it gives you the ability to defend yourself or to protect yourself or to fight back should you need to. But here's the deal. It is meant for a moment. And the moment that the threat is passed, so should the anger. The moment that the hurt is gone, so should be the anger. And the problem, unfortunately, is that's not the way it works in us. There is this destructive progression. It just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And it starts with just harboring anger. Harboring anger. And, and actually, the, the um, Amplified version gets a little bit closer to the true translation of this. This is how he puts it in the Amplified translation. Everyone who continues to be angry with his brother shall be liable to and unable to escape the punishment. He's saying, you will get angry. The question is, what are you going to do with it? He says, if you continue to carry that around, it is like a slow poison that is going to fester and deepen and deepen within you. And the deeper the hurt or the greater the threat, the harder it is going to be able to let go of the anger. But you got to do it. Because here's what anger does. It puts, it changes the relationship. It puts you in a debt-debtor relationship with somebody else. Somebody hurts you, react in anger. There's this feeling like, you owe me. You owe me. You did me wrong, and you owe me. you got to make it up to me. You stole from me. You, you took my idea. You took credit for something that I did, I did for you. Whatever it is, and your anger puts the debt-debtor relationship. You owe me. You owe me. And the longer you carry those feelings, the deeper and stronger it grows within you. And you get over it not just in a day or a week or a month. It carries over into the seasons of your life. And you know what very often happens? If you don't address the anger and you just keep carrying it around, after a while you move on to another season in your life and you have this anger that just brews inside of you and you don't even know why anymore because you moved on from that situation. It's just now the anger has become the very thing that brews with you and it sits right below the surface. And you say to yourself, I don't have an anger problem. Yeah, I get upset and frustrated sometimes. Or, yeah, there's sometimes I snap at people, but, but it's not really that big a problem. It is. The longer you carry it, the stronger it grows. And it grows and it carries from season to season of your life. And it gets passed on from relationship to relationship in your life. And it is like this slow poison that eats away. And you know what the anger does? There are physiological um, um, results from this. The book called Anger Kills, they actually documented this. It, it increases your, your um, propensity to a heart attack. It increases your stress level. They've even found that harboring anger actually has a physiological effect on your body that it, that it, it collects cholesterol. It hardens your arteries. It literally hardens your heart. That is the physical toll that it takes on you. But it also takes a relational toll with everyone around you. Every relationship you have now, you see through a different lens because of harbored anger. And it spills over to the people around you. And sometimes you see it and you go, where did that come from? It came from within. 
like an old 50s B movie, you know? It came from within. <laughs> but that's where, that's, where, that's where it is. It sits just below the surface, and every once in a while it boils over. And we wonder, why did I say that? Why did I react that way? And you know what it does? It carries over into all kinds of other areas. That's why Solomon wrote in the proverb, an angry man stirs up dissension. A hot-tempered one commits many sins because anger is so much at the root of so many other sins, so many other evils, really find its root in anger. And that's why this is so important. This slow poison that just eats away at our own health, it eats away at our relationship, it eats away at everything else around us. And this debt-debtor relationship becomes a whole lens by which we look at life. That life owes me. People owe me. Somebody crosses me, cut them off. Somebody does me wrong, you know, get back at them. And we get into this victim mentality and we're defensive all the time and we have a tendency to strike out at people before they strike out at us. And it just poisons everything. It is a downward spiral. It follows a very destructive path because it doesn't just stop. If you think, well, I can harbor this anger and it's not going to do anything, you're wrong. Because it leads downward to contempt. To treat people or a group of people with disdain or as worthless or to exclude them. Jesus said, anyone who says to his brother, Racha, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. Now, that's a really interesting word because we don't know the precise meaning of this word. It's not really a Hebrew word. It's not a Greek word. We don't even know. And we don't know. the. It's probably Aramaic, but we don't know the precise meaning. And that's why it's just transliterated. It's just put in there because nobody knows what the translation is. So they just say, Rakha. The trouble is, we don't know what Rakha is. But you know what? There's a lot of speculation that what it comes from is the sound that you make when you're preparing to spit. Yeah. Just try it with me together. Like you want to... Don't spit. Okay. But just, just try, you know, getting ready to spit. Don't spit, but just, you know. <sighs> that's the word. And there's a lot of belief that that's where it comes from. It is this sense that you just hold in contempt and disdain somebody. Or sometimes a group of people. In fact, one of the, probably the best example of it is, is racial slurs. When people spew out racial slurs, like the N-word or, or others that are used, and they've done it with such contempt and with such hatred, that's the idea behind all of this. It is the anger of bigotry. And you go to get your license renewed, and you get the booklet, and it's not only in English, it's in Spanish, and you think to yourself, why does it have to be in Spanish? Because... This is America, and we speak English. And you, this anger starts stirring up inside of you, and you don't know where it's coming from? Anytime you react to maybe someone of an other political party, and the anger starts stirring up, and you have this contempt for their beliefs, and they have contempt for your beliefs, <laughs> that, that's kind of the idea here. And what he's saying is that there's, there's this... this deep anger within us and things stir us up and get us so angry and groups of people and, and political parties and all these things and we just get this anger we don't know where it comes from it comes from within it's harbored anger and it's bad enough that you would just harbor anger but to give vent to it becomes destructive and 
It is the direct antithesis to the kingdom of God. Because what did Jesus proclaim about the kingdom of God? Gates are wide open for anybody and everybody. You are welcome in the kingdom of God. Just enter in. Receive my grace. Become a part of my family. That's the message of the kingdom of God. How can you extend that kind of message to a group of people or to an individual that you hold such contempt for? You can't. And that's why he says it's so dangerous. In his book, The Divine Conspiracy, which I highly, highly recommend, and it's available at our resource desk, but this is what Dallas Willard writes. He says, contemptuous actions and attitudes are a knife in the heart that permanently harms and mutilates people's souls. That they are so common does not ease their destructiveness. You see, to belong is a vital need based on the spiritual nature of the human being. Contempt spits on, a pathetic, on that pathetically deep need. And like anger, contempt does not have to be acted out in a special way to be evil. It is inherently poisonous. Just by being what it is, it is withering to the human soul. But when expressed in the contemptuous phrase or in its thousands of forms or in the equally powerful gesture or look, It stabs the soul to its core and deflates its powers of life. It can hurt so badly and destroy so deeply that murder would almost look like a mercy. And we go, ah, it's just words. Jesus said it's much more than that. Revealing the condition of your soul. Another place he said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. We looked at this last week. That, uh, that good things come out of the good that is stored within a man. Remember we talked about that last week? Well, the second part of that sentence is evil people bring evil things out of the evil, what? Stored up in them. Where does it come from? It comes from within. Harboring anger breeds these feelings of contempt. And it goes even further to Malice. He goes on and he says, anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now, I read that and I think, okay, aren't you just getting a little, you know, a little carried away here, Jesus? I mean, what's, what's the big deal? You fool, that's no big deal. But understand what those words hold in Jesus' time. They are the cruelest of expressions. Modern day equivalents, I cannot say from the pulpit. <laughs> Literally. You can fill in the blanks. Stupid Blanking jerk. I don't even want to bring those thoughts to your mind. But that's what it is. Because what it is in Jesus' time, to call somebody a fool, a fool is considered to be someone who is, who is just stupidly perverse and in direct rebellion against God. They are the hopeless. They are the ones who have no future in God's kingdom. They are the people who are consigned to hell, basically. And so in essence, when you say this in our day, it would be like saying, go to hell. And meaning it. That's what's going on here. And what it does is it carries with us this expression of ill will. I hope something bad happens to you. I hope whatever it is. It's that kind of of deep, deep malice. To say things like that. Or to think things like that. And mean it. Because you see, that's what happens with anger. It doesn't stay at one level. It just gets worse and worse and worse. And if you find yourself struggling with anger issues, if you find yourself saying things that you wish you hadn't said, if you wonder why you snap so easily, it is probably because of anger that has been harbored over a period of time. 
Now, maybe you're not as forthright as that, but secretly, deep down inside, when an adversary of yours or someone who, who you don't particularly like gets theirs, there's an inner joy. <laughs> oh, they finally got what was coming to them. That's anger. How can you extend God's kingdom if you are consumed with anger? Jesus said, it's an impossibility. And that's why this is so important. It is a kingdom issue. It is a heart issue. And not only does he diagnose the problem, but then he gives the remedy. And here's the remedy. The remedy is forgiveness. Anger has to be resolved by forgiveness. Jesus goes on, he explains all these things, and then he goes on, he says this. Therefore, now Bible study 101, okay? We've gone over this before. When you see therefore in the Bible, what do you do? You stop and see what it's there for, okay? It's real easy. Anytime in the Bible, when you come across therefore, it's because he's now going to say something based upon what has just been said. And so he says, this is the progression. This is what anger does to you. This is how it eats away at your soul. This is how it eats away at your relationships. Then with all of that, knowing all of that, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, go and be reconciled to your brother. Therefore, that's what he's saying. He's saying, okay, now, here's the application. Here's how you change your heart. And, and a lot of us, we say, well, you know, God, if you would just change my heart, then I wouldn't be so angry. Lord, please change my heart. And we pray, Lord, change, please, please. And, and God says, okay, then forgive. But God, I can't forgive. I'm too angry. Forgive. But, but I'm angry, God. I can't forgive. I've got to change my heart. This is how you get rid of the anger. You forgive. If you went and saw a cardiologist and he says, you know, your heart is in really, really bad shape. You know, but we found it. We don't, probably won't have to do surgery. But we found it early enough. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you on a strict exercise regimen. I'm going to put you on a strict diet. And you will follow that exercise. And you will do that diet. I think we can remedy this problem. And you say, but can't you just fix my heart? <laughs> exercise and diet. Yeah, but I... it's hard to exercise. When I exercise, I get tired. I get out of breath. My heart starts beating faster. Just fix my heart and then I'll be able to exercise. And he says, exercise and you'll fix your heart. No, 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 no. Fix my heart. And then I love, I would love to, I see people exercising all the time. I see people jogging and I envy them. I wish I could do that, but I can't because my heart's so bad. Fix my heart and then I'll exercise. You fix your heart. By the exercise. How do you fix an angry heart? You forgive. You forgive. See, if we will take responsibility for our own anger and work in conjunction with our Heavenly Father to take the steps of remedy that He has given to us, our hearts will change. Now, it's not just about rules and regulations. It's about heart change. But He says, this is how the heart changes. And I know there's going to be a lot of pushback. There's going to be a lot of people saying, well, it's not that bad. I've got it pretty much under control. I really don't need to go through all of these processes. But every time you have an argument, and you spew out harsh words, and every time you snap at somebody, because there's this anger right under the surface, and you're thinking to yourself, well, I've got it under control. No, you don't. And the only way to remedy it is forgiveness. He says you need a change of heart. And the way that you change your heart 
is forgiveness. These aren't new laws. He's just simply showing us this is how you change your heart. You forgive. You reconcile. You go back and address the initial hurt. Now, for some of you, you may not even remember what that hurt is. And I'm not saying go back and dredge it all up again to just get, you know, to really wallow in your hurt. But if there's an unresolved issue in your life or if there's an unresolved relationship or something that's been done, you've got to get it right or the anger is going to stay with you. And what Jesus says is, first of all, you make it a priority. You don't put it off. You don't say, uh, well, you know, I'll, I'll get around to it, okay? He's, what is he doing? He's, he's, an, he's addressing our tendency to just push it aside. I got it under control. It's not that big a deal. Yeah, I blow up every once in a while, but for most of the time, I got it under control. But you don't. And Jesus is saying, don't put it off. If you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, he says, leave your gift there in front of the altar. He's saying, make this top priority. Whatever else is important to you, put this at the top of the list. You see, to come to temple and to offer your sacrifice, that is the holiest of moments for his hearers. And what he is saying is, in essence, this morning, we're going to share together in communion. It would be like we're going, to, we're going to share together in communion, but before we do, anyone in here who has anything against anybody else, you go make it right, and then we'll come back and share together in communion. No, we're not going to do that this morning. <laughs> but that's really what he's saying. In the holiest of moments between you and God, in the thing that you maybe say is the top priority in your life, he says, this has got to take precedence. Because this thing not only affects your relationship here, it reflects your relationship as well with God. He says, don't put it off. Don't put it off. I would just, what if we did that this morning? Just what if? What if we ended our time together with the sharing and communion, but any one of you who has to go make things right, you can't have communion until you go make it right. How many of us be left in the room? Jesus is saying, it's that important. You can't harbor and carry around this anger. You've got to make it a priority. And when you make it a priority, then he says, then you do it immediately. You do it immediately. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. He gives another example of one being taken to court, being sued. He says, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way. Now, here's what he's doing. He is confronting our propensity to procrastinate. Yeah, I, I know it's important. It's a top priority. Yeah, I, I, it, I'm putting it at the top of my list and I'll get around to it <laughs> someday because we tend to put off the things that are difficult or unpleasant. And he's saying, don't put it off because you know what happens? Days turn into days. Days turn into weeks. Weeks turn into months. Months turn into years. Years turns into whole seasons of life and you never get around to it. And he says, do not put it off. Do it. In fact, he says, there are consequences. There are consequences for putting it off. He says, if you're involved in a lawsuit with somebody, he says, settle the matter out of court. Take care of it. Because if you go before the judge and you're found guilty, you're going to be thrown into jail and you're going to have to pay back every penny. How do you pay back every penny if you're sitting in jail? You can't. <laughs> 
And he's saying there is a point at which it's going to get so bad that it's going to be beyond repair. Do it immediately. Put it off at the earliest possible opportunity. Now, understand this, okay? Forgiveness takes time. And the deeper the hurt, the harder to get over. The greater the threat you experience, the harder it is going to be able to forgive it, okay? It's going to take time. But you make the decision to forgive. And then you take the steps to forgive. And when the anger resurfaces or that thing pops back up into your mind, you remind yourself, I've already made a decision about this. I have chosen to forgive. I cannot pick this back up and carry it anymore. And you're going to probably have to tell yourself that over and over and over again. And you're going to have to say, God, I want to pick this back up. I want to keep carrying it because there's this this perverse pleasure that I get in ruminating and stewing over this whole thing. It just, you know, deepens my case and makes me feel better. Even it makes me feel bad. Help me let go of this. It's going to take time. But you decide and get started. Because if you think, well, it's going to take too much work or it's going to take too much time, you will never do it. Just get started. And then the third thing he says is you keep it private. And here he's addressing another tendency of ours, our tendency to gossip, our tendency to find someone we can commiserate with. What I do is I find someone that I can vent my anger, who has nothing to do with the situation. Because I don't want to confront, I don't want to deal with it personally with that person. So what I do is I find someone who will be on my side. And then I give vent to all this stuff. And what I'm doing is I'm building my case. And what I'm doing is I'm trying to recruit people to my side. Oh, yeah, they did that to you? Oh, that's, that's horrible. Man, if somebody like that did that to me, I would, you know what I would do? Oh, yeah, that's what I ought to do. And we go and we say... And you know what happens? Eventually, eventually you get around to maybe forgiving and restoring and reconciling. But here's what you've done. You've poisoned a whole other group of people against this person that had no wrong against them whatsoever. You can't go back and undo it. Now I will tell you, I have heard sermon after sermon after sermon. I have preached Sermon after sermon after sermon. If you have problems with somebody, you go to the person. Jesus said, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary. Not with your friends. Not with the other people in your small group. Not with, not with anybody else. You go to them. And I have heard sermon after sermon. I have preached sermon after sermon. And still to this day, every one of us still go around building our case with everybody else except dusting it with the person we have the problem with. And we wonder why it doesn't go away. You go to the one where there's a problem. You go to the one who has been hurt. You go to the one who has hurt you. You go and you reconcile with them. And we know that. And we're told that. And we hear it preached over and over again. But we still go to all of our friends and build our case and commiserate so we can get other people on our side. And we wonder... Why am I not getting over this? Here's the good news. Jesus is asking us to do exactly what he did. It can be done. See, he had people revile him. He had people spit on him. He had people argue and fight against him and accuse him of all kinds of things. He had people put him to death. 
he forgave. And he forgave. Now, I'm not saying it's easy. In fact, it is quite difficult. It is hard. And I know, and I know, I know every one of us is saying, but that's just not practical. That's just not practical. You know, it, it, it just, I, it's really good intentions, Jesus. And, and I know it's, it's kind of, yeah, it's a nice idea, but, you know, in real life, that's just not how it works. But imagine, just imagine if a group of people really decided to give it a try. What if? What if every one of us in this room right now said, you know what? I'm going to give it a try. I know who I've hurt. I know who's hurt me. And I need to go back to them. I need to ask forgiveness. And I need to give forgiveness. I need to let go of this anger that I'm carrying around with me. Just imagine if we really did that. I have a sneaking suspicion it just might change our hearts. And Jesus doesn't ask you to do anything more than he has not already done. He forgives. He forgave you. And that's why he teaches us to pray. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's why Paul emphasizes, forgive one another just as in Christ God forgave you. Forgiveness is hard stuff, but it is the stuff of a changed heart. And maybe you're here and you're thinking, but what if I've lost contact with this person? What if I have? Then at least, at least do this. At least in your own heart, let it go. Let it go. Peter asked Jesus once, Lord, how often, how often should I forgive someone? Seven times? Now he's thinking he's being really magnanimous. Okay, seven times. That's, that's pretty good. If I, can commit, if, I can, if I can forgive somebody seven times, I'm doing really good. Jesus said, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Now, he is not setting the number at 490, okay? What he is saying is this is a life. This is an ongoing process. You just keep doing it. You just keep doing it. Now, it doesn't mean you let yourself wide open to just be getting hurt over and over again, but you forgive the hurt you've received. Because, you see, it's not just about you it is about people's eternal destinies. And it's not just about learning to keep the rules. It is about the transformation of your heart. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California. 